Digital 410 proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts, Don Abernathy, Jeff Copsetta, and Henry Sledge. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast, your favorite World War II-based podcast. And we are back after a very long two weeks and a very nice Veterans Day weekend. And for all those veterans out there, I want to say happy Veterans Day. And for all those of you who enlisted but maybe only did 80 days of active duty and didn't get your veteran status, happy Veterans Day to you too. Didn't know that was a thing, but I learned that over the weekend. Speaking of veterans, speaking of nice guys, speaking of guys you want to hang out with and have a beer with, Mr. Job, Jeff Copsetta, how are you doing today, Jeff? I can't talk. Uh, I'm tired, but I'm here. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Me too. Oh, boy. It's been a long two weeks, so... Not this past week, but the weekend prior, I had the VKE event up in Parrish, Florida. Uh, the event that uh, me, Paul, and Robert are going to be taking over next week. Next next week, yeah, that's all tied in. Next year, next November. So it'll be the first actual event that I have to have a substantial amount of organization participation involved with. Um, had a little bit back with the second anniversary of Tarawa. At least I was included in a lot of the behind-the-scenes Zoom meetings. I didn't do a whole hell of a lot other than sit in on meetings. But the good news is, is I remember back when I worked in radio, when the local radio station I worked at would put on concerts, and you'd be involved in some of that stuff. Because people don't realize that when you go to a concert in your town, if it's your radio station presents, that means they put the whole damn show on. Their producers, their station, they organize everything, and they brought the vendors in. If your radio station says, so-and-so radio station welcomes, that just means, hey, we have a relationship. They're giving us free tickets to give away. So that's the difference for those on the outside world. If it says presents, that means that organization put it together. If it says welcomes, that just means, hey, we want to get a little involved in this. So I'm going to be taking some of those past histories, plus running a business for 18 years and putting that together to continue this event because it's, uh, it's 20 years, 22 years, I believe, in the making. No, it's wow. been 24 years, and the art who's been running it for the last 15 has only missed one event. So um, it'll be fun, and so we're hoping to keep that going. First event I've been to since that same event last year, because Florida's just been kind of weird with our events. Um, of course, there was one last weekend and some coming up, but um, last weekend I was out of town on a bachelor party, but we'll talk about that maybe later. Um, but you've had an exciting run seen some fantastic photos so first and foremost let's get to the dallas event but then let's talk a little bit about uh veterans day weekend and all that as well yeah yeah we'll we'll talk dallas first i think snow your microphone's breaking up really, dallas. Your, your internet's breaking up really bad let's try it again oh man how does that sound now Good for now. We'll see. Okay. Well, sorry. That's a, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a year ago, we all know tragic event happened at Wings Over Dallas. So kind of changed a lot of things for that community and those type of events. I don't want to step on it, but we do have a lot of new listeners. And some of our new listeners may not be air show aficionados. They may have no idea what happened here ago. So let's kind of just give them the reader's digest of what happened so that when we discuss this, those new listeners won't feel left out. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I apologize. To, I, didn't, I didn't mean to uh, no, no you know, leave that out. But, you know, it's, it's something I that nobody really likes to talk about. So I'll give you a very brief uh, two aircraft collided at an air show last year in Dallas. It took out uh, a B-17 and a P-63. Um, very tragic event. Multiple lives lost, of course. Um, still, you know, the investigation is still ongoing. So if anybody wants to ask me, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it happens. It's happened before. There's, you know, different protocols maybe to put in place, different ways to do things. And that's what the commemorative air force is investigating now, uh, to move beyond this, right. Not to forget, but to, uh, but to continue forward, continue the mission and, and try to prevent something like this from happening again. We're as a non-affiliated, anything just as a 
aeronautical enthusiast and a World War II fanatic as you are, where did you fall or what was your opinion on those people who, after the tragedy came out, floated the idea that maybe it's time we ground all of that era warbirds instead of flying them around in a show capacity? Man, that's that's a really complicated question because, you know, my my first instinct is um, to not ground them. Um, but I also completely understand the other side of the coin. Hey, there's only so many of this type of aircraft left. The chances are, you know, they can't crash if they don't fly. So we know we can preserve the rest if they're grounded, they're a static display. Um, but uh, what you lose there is um, kind of the, you know, in living history, I think we all probably say the same things at different events all over the country. Um, you don't always remember the first time you see something under glass, but you certainly remember the first time you held it, you touched it, you felt how heavy it was. There was a tactile connection that leaves an impression. Um it's to see an airplane sitting on the ground is no different than looking at a tree. Um, when that aircraft is cranking up, you see all of it coming to life. These complicated systems um, that were created so long ago, so efficiently. Um, and all analog. <laughs> I mean, we're talking right. king analog. Absolutely. And so, you know, and, and we talked about that, of course, over the weekend. You can't not talk about it. And, you know, folks travel in, um, you know, commercial airlines all the time, right? And, you know, you look at the difference of a commercial airline and, uh, say, a C-47. A man can land a C-47. Um, but if certain technologies go out in an Airbus, no man is going to fly by wire and... You know, actually put this thing on the Not ground. Not only that, but a man can land a C-47 with one and a half wings. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. There's no wing in a prayer, you know, in, a, in an MD-80 or something like that. So, um, but we trust this stuff all the time. Um, well, it's, a, it's, it's kind of an interesting thought process, too, because it's not just aviation. Uh, we have this in all sorts of vintage whatevers. You got the vintage motorcycle guys who... You know, they believe this bike was made to be ridden. I don't care if it's an early, early, you know, one of 300 Harley Davidsons or a Triumph or whatever, or some, the guys who do the vintage car racing where they're out racing cars from the 60s and 70s that are worth multi millions. There's people like, you've got the party of, A, we need to preserve these things. And the more hardcore guys, like, these things have been made to be driven. You know, you're not doing them any justice with the quote unquote trailer queen. That's a phrase you'll hear in car shows. And so regardless if it's air force, motorcycles, cars, boats, ping pong balls, or baseball cards, there's always two camps the preserve it in plastic. And it's, it was designed to be used. Let's use it for what its intended purposes are. Yeah. And, and I tend to, I tend to lean that way and I'm, I'm no aficionado in, in, in aviation in any way, shape or form. I, I just appreciate it and I enjoy it. I enjoy being around it. And to me, there's there's no um, greater feeling of being an American for me than than being at an air show, seeing these aircraft of all different eras in flight and seeing these kids looking up, um, dreaming, thinking about what they want to be when they grow up and kind of that passing the torch. If, if we just stop it to preserve it, it just it almost makes me think. And, and I think most of our listeners know by now I'm a huge Elvis fan. It just reminds me of something that he said. It's just just very fitting, you know, when he when he was constantly ostracized by all the gyrations and movements on stage. He said, well, if I got up there and, and didn't move a muscle, well, my goodness, people can just sit at home and listen to the record. Exactly. You know, so that that's what it was all about. It's about the experience. And, and so, um, you know, I, I don't want to enter an argument on something like that. If if people say now is the time or maybe there's certain aircraft that we should keep grounded and, and maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I, well, the irony in preserving uh, the irony in the thought of grounding them to preserve them, you might as well put them in a private collection because anybody who's done living history in a city where something happened and all of a sudden the weapons demo has been removed from the process, the attendance will drop because people like loud noises, people like spectacles, and they like to see, hear, feel, and touch. 
And yes, there are plenty of good living history events that don't have the weapons demonstrations, but when you see them make that transition for the first few years and you don't have the sounds and the booms and the noise, there is a visual difference in attendance. And so if imagine trying to have an air show, quote unquote, preserving history and trying to preserve World War II history, obviously they got the modern jets as well. A lot of them, if they're not flying, that just means you're standing in line and getting a hangar and a lot of people are already burnt out from standing in line waiting for them to get their elephant ears. And so you don't fly them. A lot of people, the, the attendance will drop. It, it's it's a sad truth reality. Yeah, and I, and I think you, you also have to appreciate the fact that just because they're grounded doesn't mean they're being preserved. Uh, we saw that with the Memphis Bell sitting on Mud Island for decades, literally rotting. If If grounding an aircraft and not having it fly for decades preserves it, then why did the Air Force Museum have to go through all of the process to restore that aircraft? Whereas if it's airworthy and you know people are going to be flying it and it has to perform and it has a schedule, it's going to be top-notch. That's so, the difference between someone like Jay Leno having cars in a collection with a full-time mechanic staff to constantly lube them, change oils, turn them over, and somebody putting a car in their barn for 40 years and not doing anything with it. The one that's sitting exactly. untouched, opposite of what you would think, is actually going to fall apart because it's not getting the maintenance. Just like any real estate person will tell you, the worst thing you can do to a house or a building is to leave it empty. You would think, well, no wear and tear. Yeah, but it's also not being maintained. Planes, right. yep, same, same thing. Absolutely. So uh, I love what the Commemorative Air Force has done with the program this year. As opposed to a full air show, they uh, created an aviation discovery fest, which was really uh, geared towards children uh, with different hands-on activities, STEM-related activities. Um, all of my children were there, you know, and, you know, my children range from the age of 17 to 2. So, my 17-year-olds walk around with a, as a pathfinder, right, uh, with his display. And then my two-year-olds in the hangar uh, building paper rockets and, and, and my four-year-olds coloring pictures of Rosie the Riveter. And, That's awesome. You know, my 12-year-olds just soaking it all in, going, oh, man, I have that and this. And so, I mean, it really was a really nice event. And, Don, I know you can appreciate it, too, because from, like, a reenactor living history perspective, you know air shows are – kind of difficult when you have a living history display because you are constantly competing <laughs> and yeah. you may be in a great conversation with somebody they're asking you about something on your table and you're in this deep conversation and then all of a sudden there goes the p51 and you're no you're lucky if it's a p51 i was going to ask you what's louder than f18 or an f14 it's it's the jets that you really like okay i'm gonna wait till that passes over Right, yeah. So there's just awkward silence. You're just staring at each other, waiting for the sound. To pass. And then what and like, tends what to happen at air shows too, especially the bigger ones, is because of all the noise, the interactive booths try to enunciate, and so they got EDM music oompa, oompa, <laughs> bouncing in the background, trying to play their stuff louder. And so it just after a while, if you're in that vendor area, even because I've been to a few air shows where they put the living historians close to the vendor area. And so you're trying to talk over the airplanes and the techno music from three booths down and everything else going on, but it's a good time. It's just, yeah, you just got to uh, so, present yourself and, and get that, get that representation out there. Right. But so this event was, was much different than that. This was a much more intimate event. Beautiful. Yeah. There was still the P 51, uh, Fifi, the B 29 made three flights, both Saturday and Sunday. Everybody's going to stop and gawk at that. Uh, everybody kind of laughed. You, you know, you're seeing a P-51 zoom by or maybe an SNJ, and then all of a sudden the PT-19 goes up, and it's just like... <laughs> like it's like... Mommy, is that plane still. moving? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but again, the way we were set up, I mean, I was literally... I had four tables in my display, and I was under the wing of a B-24. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it could have been... History and a shade. <laughs> what yeah. do you want? Couldn't have been any better. So just, uh, like I said, an aviation discovery fest, or I think some squadrons still like a, a ride-in, fly-in, where you've got aircraft come in for display. You've got Very cool. classic vehicles, military vehicles driving in. And, and then, you know, reenactors in different exhibits for, for kids to do. It's a great event. It's a great way to do it. How do you – where do you land on – I think it's kind of cool. It's a great way to – Revigorate the wayward 
longtime historian into maybe revamping their their display if they care. But I didn't get to go to an event last weekend because I was in Tampa for a buddy's uh, bachelor party. But the one of the German crews who was at the VKE, Kevin's little crew with Kevin Hunter, Justin, and Mike and a few other guys, they won the Zephyr Hills Living History Weekend's trophy for best living history display. And that's something, I guess, that particular event started about three or four years ago. I didn't even know it was a thing because I haven't been to that one. And I think that's kind of cool. I think that's something that maybe more places need to put on. Once again, it's just more for a, you know, the organizers to acknowledge the effort that the living historians put in. Because sometimes I think we feel a little, because the organizers and the events so big, there's so much logistics going on, you know, sometimes you just kind of feel like you're there. But I think just something simple as just a, a little award from the organizers to one of, you know, somebody in the the living historian displays. It's it's kind of not only a, hey, we appreciate you going all out and putting this up, but hey, we recognize all of you guys and, you know, we can't do this without you. Cause, That's a pretty neat idea. Because yeah. even though we all know the organizers need you there and they thank you for being there, sometimes, you know, just a little acknowledgement, which, you know, a nice box of donuts does the same thing. But I think it's cool to have, you know, to have somebody get a trophy or something that says, you know, excellent job. You know, you all did a great job but out of all yours. Is, and it, it kind of makes you want to battle it out next year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that damn trophy. I'm going <laughs> to up my booth, up my demonstration. Well, I mean, I'll be honest. I feel like I, I won that award this weekend because um, it was, I guess, Thursday. Uh, I went up Friday evening. Was there Saturday, Sunday? So I guess it was Thursday. I got a call from the guy that runs the living history portion of it. He's part of the, the CF ground forces. So he's been working with him for years. Uh, he reached out to me and he said, Hey man, he said, could you do me a favor? Uh, channel or, or not. He didn't even tell me a channel. He just said, the CF is going to do like an interview with somebody. Would you mind doing it for me Saturday morning? Hell yeah. Yeah, of course. I said, I'll, I'll be there, you know, by sunup. No big deal. And he said, I figured you've done this kind of stuff before, man. You'd be perfect. So, you know, appreciate us. Yeah, sure. And he said, well, just, you know, call uh, contact with the CAF. And she's trying to get this thing hammered out. And I'm saying, okay. My, my, what I envisioned was when everybody's set up, they're going to take some footage of what's going on with people milling around. And they're going to pick somebody at their display to interview. To do, a, a little bit do about some B roll. Right. Uh, no, I found out that it was the Channel 8 News, the local Dallas news station, was that it a I live had to shoot? go to the studio. Oh, you had to go to the studio. That's even better than a live shoot. I've done multiple live shoots. I've never done it in studio. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, is there any way you could be there at like 845? And immediately I'm thinking, okay, I got to unload all these tables, get my whole display uh, set up, yeah. and then go from the event to find wherever the heck the new studio is, which was down, like couldn't be any more downtown Dallas, right? <laughs> so just picture a ball of yarn. Spots. Yeah, like that's what the roads look like. It's just roads everywhere. So naturally we missed the turnoff like twice. Oh. One way road, can't do that. You know, go to the next. Oh, it was it was nuts. I was there in plenty of time, but. That's good. Uh, really cool opportunity to talk for a few minutes and I can send you the link. Um, oh, please just do. Just to talk, absolutely, to talk a little bit about of course, the event, you know, to represent the Commemorative Air Force. Uh, naturally, I did. I was in my pinks and greens, so to, to represent World War II reenacting, and then uh, was given the opportunity to talk very briefly about my service and being a veteran and and what it means and why we do this. Um, really, really special. So, I I was treated so well, and I always am with the CAF. But there were so many other people that had known my name that I didn't realize. Um, got a private tour of the uh, the nose art collection oh. that belongs to the CAF. Wow. World's largest nose art collection. Um, and then Sunday, uh, and which was great. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I'm, uh, and this is leading to more things. Uh, it looks like I'm going to be maybe potentially doing some video marketing or some kind of recruiting videos or You're going to become like the face for, for them? For the, well, I don't know about that, but um just to help with that I, I there was quite a buzz about it so we'll see where it leads um very cool but for me the best payback was sunday after fifi's third flight 
I got to ride with the guy that put this all together on a Klee track. I, I have only seen pictures of Klee tracks. I've never seen one in person, let alone one that was restored. To be up on this tractor with him, backing out. I mean, Fifi, this big B-29. When you say Klee track, what are you referring to? Okay, so it is the if if you if you go look at um, early pictures on bomber bases, they would have these tracked vehicles as opposed to a moto tug. These were these big long tractors. I believe they were built by Cleveland Tractor. I think that's why I was short in the Cleve track. I couldn't tell you the nomenclature, but um, you'll see a lot of times uh, they'll be pulling bomb, you know, bomb trailers behind oh, okay. them or yeah. they'll be towing vehicles. Kind of look like large John Deere lawn tractors. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, just a big, huge track vehicle, long, those inline motor. And so I got to ride up there on that. We backed up. The 29 came right up to us, hooked on the tow bar, and towed this B-29, I'd say probably 200 feet or more, up to where it was going to be parked uh, static for the rest of the day. Both wings are over top everybody in the crowd. I mean, it was what a massive aircraft. But to ride on that thing, pulling that B-29 in it, I've never been that close to a moving B twenty nine, man. It was unbelievable. I just did a quick. I just typed "clee track" into YouTube. I'm not watching the video. You have to watch this later. Just listen to this description. Title: nineteen thirty one Clee track model fifteen crawler. Okay, cool. In the town of Linden in North California lives William Beckhold and his son Bill, who own the largest Clee track collection with over one hundred crawlers. This guy has one hundred of them. I have to watch that video later, but yeah, it, it looks kind of like a a larger, more medieval John Deere tractor for your yard. That's yeah. cool. Very, very cool experience. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was certainly paid in full for for any interview or, or anything like that. I mean, that was that was just super cool. So. Um, plus the opportunity to take some photos inside of the B24 and, um, at the different battle stations and just, uh, just so much fun. Just talking with folks, having kids come out, um, explaining to them different things. A big thing on my table that most kids really get a kick out of is my ball glove. You're like, that doesn't look anything like a baseball glove today. I'm like, yeah, because baseball gloves today are like this long. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and like, they actually fold where the old ones, you got to <laughs> scoop and <laughs> scoop and capture the right. ball. There's exactly. no, there's no closing the glove. <laughs> right. Right. So that's always fun. And just some of the personal effects, you know, the different things I've collected, you know, over the years. And, um, I had a navigator display. I have pretty much almost everything, uh, that would be common in a navigator kit. That was set out with some maps and then my some of my survival gear, uh, my new field desk, which was a lot of fun, and of course WLVN 1940s radio playing for folks, and it just it, it doesn't get any better than just hanging out under the wing of a 24, going back in time, and and keeping the history alive. So, a lot of living historians, depending on the event, they really they they don't break character; they stick in character. And the event we had last week. It's more theatrical than historical because it's the way the Florida Museum raises their funds. They have basically two big events each year to raise their money to maintain their museum throughout the year. One of them, because as we've said before, they have about five to six miles of train track. They have a train that goes down at Christmas time. They do the, uh, the what's that, the North Pole Express. The kids get on the train station. It's all Santa. It's all holiday out, and they get on the train, and when they get off down the end of the line, it's all decorated, look like they just landed in North Pole. It's pretty cool. Well, for the World War II stuff, when you get on the main train place, you look like you're in France. There's a bunch of Germans walking around handing out passports. you got SS guys screaming at you, ushering you onto the train and this and that. It's a whole theatrical thing. But because I always do ally, we have to bug out of the camp because it would look dumb as hell to have Germans yelling at you and there's a bunch of allies just walking around their camp. So we all have to, we all have to get out of Dodge and literally go hang out down the end of the train track for two hours while they're, you know, doing their their bit and getting people on the train and all that and so when we choose who goes on the train because obviously you can't overload the train at the end with a bunch of allies you know when the, we have our little skirmish there on the train a lot of the allies get on the train as the train goes back and once they get out of sight everybody revives and gets piles and trucks and heads back down for the third stage and so we try to tell the guys hey if you're going to get on the train you have to interact stay in character you know especially with all the politics stuff going on. We basically told them if anybody brings up the 
Israel stuff, just you're 1944, you have no idea what any of that means, you just look at them confused and just stay in character. Well, when I was at the end of the line, waiting the two hours, hour and a half or whatever for us to, to do our part, I was telling some of the guys, like, you know, last year there's this guy here who has a YouTube channel, he has autism. He travels around Florida, goes to museums and different stuff. His name's Joey. And I had never seen the performance at the beginning of the train station. I just thought they, you know, there's a whole thing with stamping passports, getting screamed at. And I didn't know it until I saw the video from last year because he filmed it and put it up on YouTube. And you can see me at the end of it. And it was really cool to see what the Germans do before we get on the train. And so it's the second ride of Saturday because we do two rides on Saturday and the one on Sunday. And I'm on the train a lot more this year because I got to see what happens on the train because Art, who was handing off the event to Paul and I and Robert, he's on the train doing a lot of the speech. And basically what they do, some of the train cars are longer, they're open air, so they're louder. And so they'll have a speech about, you know, the current events, what's going on, on the train, and they'll travel down. And if it's a longer train, they'll, they'll basically give the same speech twice on the train and then go down. And as you, as you would, would, because obviously you can't tell a, a five part story because, each train car would only hear one part of it. And so they don't know you're repeating it. And so we're going down and then I see Joey's on the train again. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to break character. And I went up and sat down next to him. I said, Hey, and I had to call kind of loud because it's open air. I was like, I just want to tell you, I've been doing this event for five years. Never knew what happened at the train station. I was telling the guys that, Hey, if you want to see what happens at the train station, you got to go watch this guy, Joey's world YouTube channel. And he was there and he was like ecstatic that, you know, how cool it is. You know, he's just going around shooting his, you know, he's probably in his forties. Like I said, he's autistic, has a caretaker, the whole nine, go around all these cool little museums and stuff. And you know how cool it is when someone recognizes you out in public, but to be at the event and then one of the reenactors recognize you because of the video you did of that event, it made his day. And so I broke character for that and then went up to one of the other guys. I was like, you know what? That guy's video I was telling about, I was like, I was like, he's back on the train. Go say hi to him. So he went back there and said hi to him. Just lit the guy's excited the hell out of him. So it was cool to see him back on the train the following year because he enjoyed it so much. And to see them shoot more video to help. Because that's just more, that's just more getting eyes. And not only is it getting people's eyes on the event, but it always, it's more authentic when it comes from a neutral source. It's one thing when the organizers put on something because it's going to be shot to make it look great. But when a neutral source is there, someone who's just there as a civilian to interact and to consume the event as it's presented and it comes off fun and exciting, that's even better for the event because that shows, hey, this is an authentic, enjoyable experience and not something that you know we paid some production company to put some video together to get you to come down here. So it's always cool when you see someone coming back a following year to shoot more video because they enjoy it so much. And so it's like, you know what? It's going to be worth breaking characters to tell this guy how much, you know, it meant to us that he's out there again. So that was fun. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, you you have to do it, especially at an event like that. We, we tell the guys, look, it's like a murder mystery dinner train without the dinner and the murder mystery. It's world war two. And, but interact. If you ever, ever dreamt of being a comedian or doing some improv, this is, this is a full weekend of improvisation. So get your best improv skills out and, and go for it. It's a good time. So we're excited to see where that goes next year. Real quick, I don't know if you guys can tell. We, we always forget until it's too late. It's November. I'm wearing my original WTSP um, Christmas Story adjacent shirt. <laughs> it has wrapping paper at the top. It has a picture of M1 Garen. And it says, Dear Santa... All I want for Christmas is an official Springfield Armory M1 rifle, semi-automatic, chambered in 30-06 with a cherry, um, sorry, I'm reading upside down. I made this five years ago. Cherry stock and complete with eight-round M block, love, Ralphie. And so if you guys want to share your love for World War II during holiday season, head over to WTSP, WorldWar2.com, and get your official M1 Garand instead of the Red Ryder BB gun, because we all know that Ralphie truly wanted an M1. He just didn't know it. And so you can get yourself the official WTSP Ralphie M1 guarantee shirt, as well as some of our other shirts. Just head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on the merch link, and use the promo code ILISTEN, and that'll save you a couple bucks on your purchase. 
And other reminder, do you have your uh, print nearby? And while Jeff slides over to get his print, if it's nearby, he wants to remind you to purchase the official Jeff Cop set of WTSP World War II coffee mug in all its glory. They're durable, they're strong, they keep your coffee nice and hot. And after you purchase your t-shirt and your WTSP World War II coffee mug, on our website, click on the link for the Patreon. Sign up for Patreon. We're doing the first giveaway in November. We'll probably do another one in January. And you'll see the print that, not the exact print, but the same version of the print we're giving away. It's called Hit the Beach. It's part of the uh, Valor Studios. Um, these were from the you know, Henry Sludge collection. They've been sitting in his office for years. And he's donated two of them. That's the copy of the one we're giving away at the end of November. And all you have to do is be an active subscriber on our Patreon. Not the free account, but any of the paid tiers. Even the $1.50 a month. So sign up. Cost you $1.50 a month. Your name will be actively registered. And so at the end of November, probably maybe December 1st, give everybody time to get signed up. We're going to go through our list of active subscribers. I'm going to send them over to Jeff. He'll cut them in a piece of papers, and we'll make one of his kids pick the name so you guys can't be mad at us because we won't be guilty of picking the name. And we'll give away the first one, and then we'll probably give away the second one at the end of December or maybe January-ish. We want to give everybody time to sign up. All you have to do is go to WTSPWorldWar2.com, click on that Patreon link, sign up and subscribe, or just go to Patreon.com and look for Digital 410. And um, appreciate you guys for all the help on that. And we have a lot more t-shirts on there as well. So this weekend I went to Tampa for my friend's bachelor party. Which is ironic because three people canceled. So the three of us who went are all avid bass fishermen. And our original idea was to do a fishing trip. But we had to cancel the fishing trip because the three other dudes didn't like to fish. And so we ended up having to get like an Airbnb in downtown Tampa. But then those three guys didn't show up, so we could have went and had our fishing trip anyhow. But I bring all that up to say this. It's interesting. Um, Tampa has the super high, famous Skyway Bridge. It's a beautiful bridge, wicked tall. And next to it, they have the old causeway from the old Skyway Bridge that they've left a good section of it, maybe about four miles. And I dubbed it kind of like city parking. You pay $4 a person, you drive your car out there, and then you park, and then where you park is where you fish. So you can set up a get like the tent canopy you have for when you go watch your kid's soccer game on Sunday or whatever, set up or the bed of your truck and have all your gear. And, it, and they have a 24-hour bait shop, 24-hour bathroom. So you can like literally pay, you know, 18 bucks for a car full of people. And if you got a grill and coolers, you could camp out there all weekend and have a good time. But, and I, and I put a TikTok up of it and for Veterans Day, they lit up, they put all the LED lights underneath the, Tampa Bay Skyway Bridge. The The street was all blue and then every other pillar was red and white. So it looked like a giant American flag. And it was the video does not do it justice. The the quality of LED lights, I mean it, it sounds stupid to say this, but sometimes in real life things look better than 4K. I mean, I mean it was just the Christmas of it, the crispness of it is just it was immaculate. And I just had this weird feeling it's like, huh. The city of Tampa can light up the Skyway Bridge to look like an American flag on Veterans Day. But when I went to see WWE at Raymond James Stadium two years ago when they had the national anthem, they didn't have a physical flag on the entire property. They only had the digital displays. Like, Tampa can do it. Why <laughs> can't the football stadium? But that's in their time. But it was just cool to see that whole. And they had it flickering, so it almost looked like the pillars were moving. Because one pillar was white, one was red. And so the way they had the light flickering, it almost looked like the flag was waving in the wind. Hmm. And to be standing there with two veterans, and as a civilian, I think most of us, at least when we're younger, now a lot of our audience is going to be my age and your age and older. But as a civilian, I just experienced this transition of going from celebrating Veterans Day as a child or teenager where the veterans are all older and so it's just like, oh, you know, there's grandpa, there's uncle, there's the neighbor. I just spent the weekend with a 32-year-old and a 35-year-old veteran. And so veterans that sharing Veterans Day weekend with a peer group veteran has a different impact than being a child or, you know, an adolescent or young adult 
surrounded by older veterans who you don't have that same level of recognition because you're just two different ages, you're two different life experiences. But to see it, especially when you're actually older than the veterans, it has a whole different, you know, meaning. And it's, it's, it's more interesting to sit there and watch, especially when Ron was interacting with other veterans as we we're going to Dunkin' Donuts, whatever, and everybody had their hats on. It's just, it's kind of, it's, you, it has more of an impact on you when you see your contemporaries being in that position versus a grandfather or an old uncle or, you know, the school teacher or what have you. I'm sure, you know, obviously it's different for you because you are that veteran and you did experience it. But for those of you in the civilian world, especially younger cats, as you get older, um, you know, it's, it's definitely more interesting to witness it being a contemporary. I can see that. I can, I can certainly appreciate that. I mean, um, you know, for me, I guess we just, it's, <laughs> um, it's almost like time kind of stands still. And and when I see these guys, I don't think of them as how they look now, how other people see them. I still see them as 20, 21, 22, you know, years old. I don't, I don't, it's like it, that, that image is burned in my mind. So every time I do see them, that's what I see. Um, so this weekend, of course, a uh, perfect weekend for us to do it, but my unit does the annual reunion and, uh, for, for Fox troop ninth cab, which was my unit. Um, and, and we've kind of expanded, which makes sense. Cause there was only, you know, it was like less than 50 of us in the unit. So <clears throat> that you're not going to get a big showing there. So when the unit, when we came back, you know, it was only around for a little less than three years. I was in it for all but about four months of it um, from the beginning. And then I got out and then I think it, it rolled up about four months later. But the unit that it became as the Army changed and reorganized and all that, it's also open to those guys as well um, because there was some bleed over guys you know that served in both units and so on um but so uh that was my saturday evening the air show and and all that um going out to see those guys up in in beautiful grapevine texas not not far from dallas um and and i think some of the some of the listeners and viewers know that i lost my driver um now uh, uh, you know, self-inflicted. Um, so that's always uh, a reminder for for a lot of us. And, and you're in a crew of three, that's a big dent. Yeah, uh, I was the gunner, and then I had two truck commanders: one that served the first six months of the tour roundabout, and then another one that took over essentially uh, for the rest of the tour. I hadn't seen either one of my truck commanders since I left the army in June of 2005. I walked into the club, this, this, uh, it's like an Elks club, private club kind of thing. VFW type vibe, I guess you sure. could say, you know, bar and everything. And both those guys were standing there. I, uh, I couldn't believe it. Had and they not made the past events? Cause didn't you say you no. do this annually? No. And mainly because they both just recently had retired, um, you know, I mean, they've been going and strong and they're all over the place and they were both, they both ended their career and just decided, you know what, we're both retired now. Let's hop in a car and go. So both of them just road tripped it over Hell to yeah. Dallas and totally surprised me. I, I was just blown away. And, um, you know, it's funny because when I see some of the guys, I, you know, um, I get, I get razzed on a little bit because I haven't changed. I don't look much different. <laughs> And, and they all look drastically different. Uh, I may be the only one that can still fit into my uniform from 2004 and five. Well, that's because uh, all the rest of them became one. CrossFit experts, and you know they're doing squats and bench presses all day, and they're just too—they're just too jacked, too many gains. Yeah, yeah, that's not what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help them out here, Jeff. You know, uh, that's what Ron but, said to me. Ron hasn't seen me in two years. He's like, "Damn, you got fat." <laughs> and I'm like, I'm 45. I was like, how old are you? He's like, I'm 32. And I held up the picture from when I was 37. 
no, 39, I was doing all my heavy OCR stuff. I said, you're 32 now, you're calling me fat. I said, come see me at 37 if you look like this. But, <laughs> but yeah, he was ragging me all week and being the oldest guy and then, you know, not being as skinny as I was last time he seen me. It's like, oh, I'm not, uh, even, I'm not even, you know, uh, I'm here for moral support. <laughs> but yeah, we're ragging on each other all weekend. You know, it's interesting what you were saying about seeing those guys as the same age as when you were there. And that's something that they try to portray a lot, especially in like World War II movies or movies that take place so long after the combat. But it's interesting to know that that is a real thing that you guys do. And it makes sense though too, because like I left Ohio as soon as I graduated high school. And when I think of a lot of people that I went to high school with, I think of the 18, 19, the, the version of them that I last saw. I don't think of the, the 45-year-old version I saw on Facebook two weeks ago. I still think of them as that that old way. But, yeah, it, it, it would definitely be interesting to to um, have that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was just – that's just how it is for me. I that Their their image and their bodies could change and, and they can get gray and everything. But I, I see the soldiers that I went to combat with every time I look at them. Um, and uh, and uh, you know the uh, the impression that you were talking about with with your trip with your guys being actually a peer or a little bit older than these veterans, um, the I think the same kind of thing happened to our really good friend uh, Liberty Phillips, who as we know uh, we've had on the show before with Operation Meatball and all the amazing things mm-hmm. that she does for World War II veterans all over the world and the British history. Go back. Go back and find that episode. It's great. Go see Liberty Phillips. So she happened to be in the area for an, a World War II event in Dallas that weekend and just happened to say, hey, come on out to uh, to the reunion. I think you would get a kick out of it. She's been at how many reunions, yeah. you know, but all for World War II veterans. All, so old nine, it was all nice. 90-year-old guys, yeah. Right, right. And, and, it, and it gave my wife, you know, somebody else to talk to. I mean, my, my wife knows some of the wives there, but, you know, not all of them. Sure. And, because again, there there was only a handful of us from Fox Troop. Anybody else in the other unit, I I didn't know. Um, so it was really nice to have Liberty come in, and and she said it was such a different experience for her because it was the same type of thing she's used to seeing all the time. But like you said, these guys aren't ninety eight. Yeah, you know they're they're forty, they're forty five. And she thought it was really special to be there, kind of a fly on the wall, and and hear the old stories and see the reminiscing, and you know, just this is what World War II guys were doing in the '60s, right? It's it's no different. Yeah, I just had this vision as you were explaining that, like if I was shooting a, a movie scene or, or a scene replicating that, you would have her lean up against a table or whatever, panning across, and then seeing you guys. And then her mind visualizing, oh, the 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 reunion I was just at two weeks ago with all the World War II vets. We're looking, then she can now see them in their forties, you know, in the nineteen fifties and sixties, wearing clothes of that era as they're talking about their time in the forties. And you know, and it probably, I'm sure, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that it had a pretty, pretty um, surprising impact on her just kind of as you said it's it's the same but it's different right and it, you know the the guys you, you you lost and and all the things that you went through and there were some things i completely forgot about is my gosh how did i forget something like that maybe just kind of blocked out of the mind kind of thing and that was kind of interesting to me there were some things that the guys in my future like, you don't remember that how do you not remember that and then they would say something like Really? Was I there? He goes, "Yeah, you're right. You, you said this." And I'm like, "Oh man, I." <laughs> so that was kind of fun to kind of put those other pieces together because there's only certain things that I remember, and probably a lot of things that I I don't want to think about or I haven't thought about in so long that they're just kind of gone and and their memories are are you know of the other things that I don't remember. So it was kind of fun to put those pieces together and and relive some of those some of those good times right because they're they they really were uh i i used this quote so many times writing letters home that it was certainly the best of times and it was the worst of times um you know and to to borrow that line um but it was true 
Um, in some ways, I, I wish I could go back uh, and experience some of the things that I did, the camaraderie with those guys, the um, everybody suffered the same. Everybody was going through the same thing, and we will forever be connected. Uh, looking around the Elks Club, you know, two nights ago, I probably wouldn't hang out with half of those guys otherwise. How much else do we have in common? Not a lot. Um, but they're some of the best guys that I could have ever that I could have ever asked to serve with. And I'm just so proud to be a part of them. And when they come up to me and they tell me that they think what's the gut about podcast is so cool. And the work that I'm doing with, you know, with too, so cool. They love seeing, you know, what I'm doing today and, and how appreciative they are. Um, it blows me away. And I, I just, uh, I can't say it enough. I, I just, I love those guys so much. Has enough time passed that you're getting to that point where it almost feels like it was a whole different lifetime? Like it's hard to believe that was you there. Because we, we hear that from, you know, vets, you know, whether it's Vietnam vets, Korean vets, where you get to a point, and I'm sure that point's different for everybody. But for you personally, have you gotten to that point where that was a lifetime ago or does it still feel like yesterday? Or a little bit of both? Both. Both. Absolutely. I When I see my son... Um, you know, about to, to step off into the great unknown this summer. Uh, and even Tammy, my wife had said the same thing, seeing Logan looking so much like I, cause he's 17 now. Right. So yeah. looking so much like I did then when Tammy watched me get on that plane, you know, going over there, I mean, he, he even zipped up his hair exactly, <laughs> you know, how I had it. Um, it definitely puts it in perspective, like, my gosh, this was that long ago. You know, this is before my 17-year-old was even born. This is ridiculous. I can't believe it was it was a lifetime ago. And then at the same time, it, 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 was, it was yesterday. And then your parents were living it for the second time. Absolutely. And I, that all the time, that I say, oh, my gosh, you know, especially Veterans Day. Oh, thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. You know, just thank my mom. Yeah. I wanted to do it. She had to do it. And as much and as your parents love you, they love your their grandchildren even more. And so it's absolutely it's gotten even harder to you know yeah. to to have that deja vu. It's like wow, it didn't seem like it was that long ago when Jeff was there, but here we are now. It's like wow. Yeah. It's always the mothers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, so uh, this may this may segue into the final part of the show here, but there's a World War II veteran that I got to meet over the weekend that I have been wanting to meet for quite some time, and and I and uh, I've seen him recently in a uh, in a documentary that that's not out for the public yet, so I don't want to I don't want to talk too much about it, but um, hearing him tell his story was just absolutely just unbelievable. Thank goodness that there is now a book uh, written about his story. And I'm talking about John Luckadoo, a very famous B-17 pilot from the 100th Bomb Group, uh, nicknamed the Bloody 100th because of their the losses that they suffered. What this man saw in 1943 at the heart of it, at the uh, height of the air war in Europe as a B-17 pilot is just it is unmatched. And uh, to walk up and and talk to him for a few minutes, and I. I briefly told him, I, you know, I said, sir, I, I, I spent a year overseas in, in Iraq back in 0405. And I said, there were times where um, I had to think about you guys because as hard as some days got, I tried to remind myself, you know what, but this ain't Omaha Beach. You know, yeah. it could have always been worse. And he had a different look in his eyes immediately and shook my hand. He said, Jeff, I... I know what you're talking about. He said, there were, there were times where I did not think I was coming home. And I said, I, I can appreciate that. I said, but it's, it's our job because we did to make sure that our comrades are not forgotten. And I said, I just hope that I can live as long to do this kind of mission for that long Yeah, because it's that important. And, um, so, uh, 
Damn Lucky by Kevin Marr is a John Luckadoo story. Lucky Luckadoo. Um, cannot wait. I cannot wait to read this book. I've been wanting this for so long, and, and to have uh, Lucky sign it for me. That's awesome. Man, I went back in time. Oh, absolutely. I went back in time. I I was I was 13, 14 years old again. As soon as, as, soon as he opens the Sharpie, uh, I, I was in, I was a kid at an air show going around collecting, you know, when there was World War II vets everywhere. And, uh, and to meet this particular one, this was almost like meeting, you know, Captain Morgan from the Memphis Bell. It was like, this is, th- this is not just any guy. This is one of the guys. Yeah. Um, so very, very excited to, uh, to have that opportunity. And I'm so thankful to the commemorative air force for presenting this opportunity to me because, I wouldn't have even known he was there otherwise, you know. Before we wrap up the show, I think we have to mention it because anybody who has any social media revol- revolving around World War II saw the trailer come out last week. What was your impression of the long-awaited official trailer for Masters of the Air? Um, It's hard to not be pumped, man. It's hard to not be pumped, but I'm still... I'm still pumping the brakes a little bit because, like I said, I've I've read the book. There are some things. There are some 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 of the ways that the things are told can be leading towards. You know, maybe the author didn't exactly agree with the daylight bombing campaign or the way we went about it. Um, and, and, and that's fine. I just, I, I'd prefer that let's just tell the facts and let the readers take their own impression. Don't, um, that's my only thing. I, um, we sacrificed so many guys for daylight bombing. So we, we weren't just bombing indiscriminately in the middle of the night to minimize civilian casualties. I realize civilian casualties, uh, are unavoidable in most situations, but we did our best, and there was a point in the war when we realized bombing submarine pens, ball bearing factories, rail yards was not going to get the job done. Other things, other drastic measures were going to have to happen, um, and they did, and we helped shorten the war because of it, and let's leave it at that. Um, so I'm going to be very interested to see how that story is told. I was... I have to see Tuskegee Airmen. That's that was really my question because I was under the impression, kind of like the Pacific or Band of Brothers, it was going to be about a particular group of bombers. But maybe they're incorporating other air, con- uh, other air services that had con- con- contributed to the war effort. Like you said, it looked like they're going to have um, at least a, a squad from the Tuskegee Airmen in there. So I yeah. th- that that was kind of like okay, cool. So maybe it's going to be more encompassing of all those who fought in the air instead of just one particular bomb group or something. I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how it turns out. I, I'm one of those guys I don't try to do a lot of research on stuff before it comes out because, A, it just builds up your expectations and it increases the possibility of being let down by a project. I learned that as a kid. You don't buy the hype of the new roller coaster because if you buy into the hype, the roller coaster is not as cool as you thought it was going to be, but if you don't buy in the hype, you're actually impressed with the roller coaster. So I try not to get too into the research and spoilers and stuff. I like to watch things naturally. And so I didn't dig into it. But yeah, when I saw it, I was like, okay, this may be more than what we thought it was going to be all these years of the pre-production. Let me ask you this. My first knee-jerk reaction is I don't like it, but then I got to remember when Band of Brothers came out, Office Space had already been out and Ron Livingston already was in a big production. Where do you fall on having Elvis play one of the key roles in this? Does it bump you at all, or uh, do you wish they would have used a lesser-known actor or somebody who didn't just come off a huge release? Uh, I look, I, uh, Austin Butler is incredibly talented, so I think he's. I'm, I'm hoping, I think he's going to surprise us. And and you're not going in the trailer. I still saw him. I don't know if I can unsee Elvis. Um, <laughs> But I, but I don't know if that's going to be necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I don't think it's going to take away from the overall experience. Um, I mean, I think he's that good of an actor to where it's not going to matter, right? Um, so 
did, you know, like, did you see Private John H. Miller when you watched Greyhound? Or no, but I, I even though it was ten years or, prior, um, I did or, see the kid yeah. from Jurassic Park when I watched Pacific. But with that being said, Snafu was also in, I think, the first um, Twilight movie. But you didn't see the vampire kid. So, but with that being said, those actors didn't just come off the leading role of a big, you know, when the the gentleman who played Eugene Sledge, you know his last big role that anybody knew him from was Jurassic Park, but he was only eight at that time. So you can make that separation, but to have somebody play a key role that played a leading man in another feature opposed to a character in a background or a third part, it might bump you a little bit more, but good for him. He landed the role. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, when I read masters of the air, I think initially this, this was going to be called the mighty eight. Okay. I remember it ran as the Mighty Eighth for quite some time, and I didn't think Masters of the Air had anything to do with the series. Um, I also it, it, I read Masters of the Air as well, Gerald Astor's. I mean, I'm sorry, I read uh, the Mighty Eighth book as well by Gerald Astor, um, and I think maybe that's why there was the change in the top in the title because it's not based on the Mighty Eighth book; it's based on the Masters of the Air. So I thought the Mighty Eighth was a better title because I looked forward to being, like you said, kind of more all-encompassing yeah. of all the guys. I mean, I just the Eighth Force in general. I mean, what else do you need? Um, but then I understand it's more on two particular pilots that were really good friends, Bucky Egan and Bucky Cleveland, both B-17 pilots in the Bloody 100th Bomb Group. And I know Austin Butler plays one of those two. So it certainly doesn't revolve around just one bomber crew, which we also, I think, heard early on. It was just going to be like this 10 men where you're just in this B-17 like we saw in Band of Brothers. Um, so maybe it's a good balance of of uh, you, you kind of it with the crew, but you also see some of the other aspects of the air war. Yeah, it allowed them to shine a light on more people instead of just a select few. Sure. Which is one of the things we yeah. enjoyed about the Pacific instead of it being... You know, based around, you know, it was based on five characters and their counterparts. So it allows you to tell more of a story. Yeah. Yeah. But, yep, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I appreciate everybody coming and hanging back and uh, checking in with us. We'll uh, dig deep into more World War II stuff. We're playing a little catch-up and living history stuff. I'm looking at the Pacific Alamo. I'm going to pull that off the bookshelf right now and start reading on that. To uh, Now things are starting to slow down a little bit around here. And uh, we want to thank each and every one of you for um, continuing to support the podcast. We want to thank each and every one of you who come check us out, the new listeners, um, who may have found us through the um, eight-part breakdown of episode one of Henry Sledge Reacts to HBS Pacific. i got to get a hold of Henry and Jeff and schedule time that the three of us can get together to do part two when things really get into the thick of it. Because, you know, the first five episodes, well, f that video is six parts, but the first four or five episodes was just ground uh, character development. We're going to really start getting into it on these last five to six episodes. So um, keep an eye out for that, and um, I'll probably release it in small chunks again because for some reason, if it's an hour-long video, it gets taken down by YouTube, but if I chop it eight bits, it's free to go. So, um, And it's a little easier to consume, too. So if you haven't seen that, please head over to YouTube.com, look for Digital 410, and there's a playlist. You can watch all eight parts, and uh, we're going to get with Henry. Uh, for those of you wondering where Henry's at, he's busy working on his book, and uh, we're we're proud of him, and we're going to let him do his thing. And so, um, But we're going to get a hold of him and get that scheduled and hopefully get part two up here before too long. But yeah, if you guys haven't seen that, go check it out, especially if you're new listeners and you haven't heard Henry talk in depth too much about you know, some of his father's stuff and when we did contrasting and comparing between the show. And uh, you'll learn a lot more, too, about his, his family, especially in Episode 5 when we start talking about photos and dogs and things like that. So go check that out. I want to say thanks, you guys, so much. And tomorrow-ish, Wednesday, I guess, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. We're going to have the clips of uh, the YouTube video that Jeff hosted for the um, – the event organizers that just occurred and uh, all the photos. He took some fantastic living history photos in front of the uh, planes there. And uh, 
love the cockpit shot and the shot of your son man and the uh the gun in the back all good stuff and uh, that's gonna wrap it up for us for myself jeff and henry we'll talk to you all soon and uh thank you so much and have a good night this has been a digital 410 production <laughs>